This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and joining me back this evening is Mr. Matt Caraccio. Matt, welcome back. It's glad to have you back in the saddle with me. Oh, Paul, it's 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 incredible to be back on show. I got to tell you something. I mean, it's nice and cozy. I, I like what you did with the place. I see you <laughs> took my pictures down. I guess you were getting rid of me already. Uh, you know, it's no love lost. Um, no, no, no. Seriously, on a serious tip, um, you know, to everybody out there. I mean, it's been a really up and down year for me. Um, my family and I uh, had some recent struggles that um, really kind of took me away from the podcast and it it may end up taking me away from the podcast a little bit here and there in the future. Um, And it might be the same for Paul at some point here and there. Um, But you know, the show is going to go on. One of us will always be here for sure. And uh, Paul, much respect for, for keeping the line going. Um, And I know it may come up sooner, sooner rather than later on your end as well. Um, But to everybody out there. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, the, the run of the mill stuff that we all go through as being, uh, part of a larger family and the responsibilities that we have there and and how um, as much as we're passionate about the game, sometimes it has to take a backseat. So I just want to respect and, and thank everybody out there for, for their support. Um, it was uh, it, it was certainly something that uh, was uh, chaotic, unexpected, and uh, just taking things day by day. So thank you so much, Paul, and thank you so much to everybody out there for their warm wishes and well wishes. Absolutely. And anytime, hold down the fort. And like you said, I'm sure there will be, there will come a time and a, a place where you will be reciprocating it back when you will step up for something that I'm dealing with. That's just, that's how we are. We're a team and we will battle through all of ups and downs that uh, obviously at times life will pull us away from the podcast here or there. But a lot of things have been happening while you have been away from the podcast. I know you have been following it closely. We have our final four playoff set. I mean, last time you were on, we we talked about what it could look like down the line. And here we are now. Initial thoughts on the playoff. LSU, after their big win this weekend over Georgia, leapfrogs Ohio State to the one seed. Ohio State, the two seed. Clemson, the three seed. So that's pretty much chalk. That's been like that for a while. We just didn't know how LSU and Ohio State were going to finish out in terms of one-two. And then due to Utah losing, due to Georgia losing, Oklahoma sneaks in there after another hard-fought win against Baylor to be that four seed. Initial thoughts, Matt, on the playoff. Do you think it was right for LSU to leapfrog Ohio State and any issues with the final four there? for the playoff yeah i mean i i I think it's been close all year between the two i mean everything i'm about to say you've probably heard a million places um i I think it's been pretty much understood that the you know the differential between ohio state and lsu um you know from any perspective you choose from the analytics perspective from the talent on the field perspective um it's been razor thin and and it really has been a razor thin differential so much so to the point that it came down to what many perceived to be the committee's perception of what happened on championship weekend. And it was pretty much determined that, you know, if we were going to have, you know, Ohio state, you know, win, you know, the actual championship, how much were they going to win by and were they going to make it an impressive win? And would LSU, you know, throttle Georgia. And if they did, would that be enough? Probably would be enough to leapfrog them. 
And that's what happened. I mean, LSU, you know, really took advantage of a Georgia team. And, you know, they again, again, exercised their muscle on the offensive side of the ball. And they had a very convincing victory. Not that Ohio State struggled, but there was a little bit of sputtering here and there in that win over um, Wisconsin. And as a result, now you see this leapfrog that occurred. So I, I think it really did come down to the who's going to be the one seed um, at, to the very end. I really do believe it came down to that in this case. Um, I, I don't in any way fault the committee for their choice. I do think that this is going to be an exciting playoff with Oklahoma in it. Um, I'll tell you, I didn't think Oklahoma was going to be in it. Um, but I mean, it just seems like, it just seems like, you know, that's another team where it's like, you know, Hey, you know, they had again, a convincing victory. They were able to pull up and show that they are capable of being in the dance, so to speak again. And kudos to Lincoln Riley. I mean, Good for him. I mean, I mean, have we missed a beat? I mean, that's a huge story when it comes to the coaching carousel in the world of college football. Oklahoma, man, Lincoln Riley, congratulations to him and everything that that organization and that school has been doing um, since the guard has changed some some three, four years ago. I mean, it's been nothing but Heismans and playoffs since he took hold. And that's impressive. So, I mean, amazing for them. Great, 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 great story there. And I'm just excited to watch this playoffs. I think I just feel bad for Ohio State having to play Clemson. Um, I'm going to tell you, that is my dream matchup. The Two of the best quarterbacks, I think, in college football, really going up head-to-head with one another. You couldn't have pictured a better game, though. I mean, I think I even said it in uh, in almost tongue-in-cheek on Twitter at some point in the past. Imagine Fields playing Lawrence in the actual playoffs. And I, I didn't really know if that was going to happen. But here we are on the brink of that game really occurring. I just hope everybody's healthy. That's all I hope. Everybody is healthy. That's what I hope. Yeah, absolutely. And and you're right. And and this might not be the first time they meet in the playoffs because I know I don't want to jump the gun, but they're obviously going to be two of the most highly regarded teams next season too. So, I mean, they could be on a crash collision next year before they go to the pro and then before they battle it out to see who's the first pick and who's the second pick. Cause I do think they are on a crash course for that as well. My quick thoughts are, I do think LSU deserved to be the one seed. I do think their cumulative victories against their opponents warranted that warranted the leap up and I do think it is significant because I do think LSU will roll over Oklahoma I think Oklahoma will score some points for sure but I I just I don't think that game will be all that competitive when push comes to shove and man it does make you realize we were we were so close of having LSU Alabama the rematch at the 1-4 game because if Alabama doesn't lose to Auburn in the last game they play in the Iron Bowl Yep. Alabama's the four seed. They're getting in over uh, the Big 12 champion Oklahoma Sooners. If Alabama was a one-loss team, they're the four seed right now, and we're getting LSU-Alabama rematch, and we're getting Trevor Lawrence versus Justin Fields. That would have been the playoff here if Alabama doesn't lose to Auburn. So I do think I do th- I do think they got it right. I, I think LSU deserves to be the one. My early take is LSU rolls in that game, and then my take is that Ohio State – unlucky to draw Clemson. And I think Clemson is hitting on fire and on all cylinders. I like Clemson to beat Ohio state. And I I like LSU Clemson to meet in the national title game. Those are my early takes, you know, a month out probably from the actual playoff or, you know, 
three weeks out from the actual game. It, where I'm assuming you're feeling LSU. Do you have a feel right now on Ohio State Clemson? Yeah, I mean, I am feeling LSU. I do agree with you. I think they're going to roll. Um, I, I wouldn't be shocked though that if Oklahoma gives them a, gives them a little bit of a of an actual struggle because I mean you are talking about um, a team that is you know a Lincoln Riley team where I think we've proven by now um, his recipe for playing football is definitely one that is conducive to almost any environment and any situation any level of player I mean he's shown that type of competency and aptitude so could Oklahoma win this game? Chances are they won't, but they have a shot. So I'm I'm still interested to see how that goes. It'll be interesting, a huge interesting game. But yeah, I think in terms of Ohio State Clemson, yeah, Paul, you know what? I got to agree with you, man. I, I'm t- I'm sorry. I just can't imagine an offensive team. I know people are going to say, well, how could you say that? Look at J.K. Dobbins. Look at Justin Fields. W- why? Why? Why would you say that? I really am not in very much in love with the receiving core of Ohio State. I'm just not. And I and I think KJ Hill is a fantastic player. I think he's going to make a great pro. But when I look at the type of caliber of talent and skill that Ohio that uh, Clemson has on the offensive side of the ball from Travis Etienne to Justin Ross to T Higgins to even the the random kind of contributions of uh, you know, players that are there that are freshmen and high caliber prospects. I, I just I just tend to really gravitate towards Clemson as if they if they start getting on a roll and you get one or two turnovers from a defensive side of the ball to go your way, I could see a Clemson team just march forward and and beat Ohio State. And I'm not saying it's gonna be a, a you know blowout, but I could certainly see it being you know, a potential 13 point win for sure or better. Listen, there's a reason they made that the eight o'clock game. They ma- there's a reason why they made that the primetime game, because I think they think that's the game that's going to be very competitive. I can see that game coming down to the wire. Sure. If, if a couple things break, right, I could see a team winning by double digits, but I think that game is, I think that game's got classic written all over it. 40, 33, 44, 49, you know, 44, 39, 44, 41. I think that game could have a classic game written all over it. I think that's the reason why it's the primetime eight o'clock game. I think the, the first playoff game, I think on December 28th is at four o'clock. That's the LSU Oklahoma. They, they put the Ohio State Clemson at primetime in the evening because I think they expect that to be the more competitive game. And I think, I think it's going to be. I just give the edge right now. Clemson's been there. Clemson, you know, Clemson, Trevor Lawrence has played and, and last year in the playoffs won a national title. I'm not saying the moment's going to be too big for Justin Fields because I expect him to perform really well. I just think Clemson is going to make a few more plays when they have to, but, but I think it should be a fantastic game. And I think either one of those teams can give LSU a game in the national title if that's where we're headed. So it's going to be fun. We'll break it down, obviously, you know, the week leading into it, we'll we'll go in a little bit deeper into the playoff matches. Uh, but we didn't have a tail of the tape, so we kind of started with just some initial playoff picture thoughts on that. And then the other tail of the tape thing, obviously Joe Burrow is being coordinated this weekend in New York City for the Heisman. If you had to pick who the runner-up will be, Matt, from the other three guys that are going to be in New York City, uh, Justin Fields, Jalen Hurts, and Ohio State's de- star defensive player, uh, Chase Young. 
Do you have a Do you have a feel on who could be the runner up to Joe Burrow this weekend for the Heisman? Yeah, I, I think it's Chase Young. Yeah, I think it's going to be Chase Young. That, and, really that would, and that would be fascinating because a defensive player doesn't usually doesn't usually get it. I, I've been I've been feeling that I think it's going to be Jalen Hurts. I think Justin Fields as a freshman, you know, well, not, not as a freshman, but you know what I mean, as his, his rookie season playing, so to speak. Uh, I think he might not garner as many votes as maybe he should in his first year playing. So I think Hurts is going to come in second. But I actually agree with you that I think if we just go with what was happened on the football field, I think Chase Young deserves to maybe be the runner-up there. And I think that would be great to see a defensive player legitimately be in the final two. Yeah, I, I think I think the the Heisman Trophy is supposed to be about the best you know college football player, and those guys to me are guys that change the game, and that they're guys that you have to not just plan for, but you you star on your on your weekly board every week about who you got to make sure you're aware of. I mean, Joe Burrows has been that guy in terms of wielding that offense all year. Chase Young, man. How he's been a guy that's been terrorizing offensive lines all season, and he's been nothing but outstanding. I, I, I mean, I'd be shocked if he's not two. I think there's a defense. I think it's a defensive bias then, because I, I mean, I love Jalen Hurts and I love the story of Justin Fields, but I don't know how you really argue Chase Young. I mean, maybe because Chase Young got in trouble earlier this year, you might get a couple of voters who say. I'm not going to vote for somebody who got in trouble, so to speak, you know, even though it was very benign and it was like the money was paid back and it wasn't even that big of a thing. There may be voters who say, no way, Jose. And like, that could be the case, but I mean, how do you argue his ability on the field? I mean, he is absolutely the most dominant college football player right now in the game. Yeah. I mean, he's one of the best defensive prospects to come out in, in quite some time. And the truth of the matter is if it does go Joe Burrow, Chase Young, for the Heisman, I, I'm sure it's happened before, but I don't know off the top of my head when the last time the winner and the runner-up in the Heisman ended up being the first and second picks selected in the NFL draft. And I don't see a scenario with Tua and his injury right now. No, I don't see I a agree. scenario where the first two picks in the NFL draft aren't Joe Burrow and Chase Young. And selfishly, at the light of an end of a miserable giant season, I hope they're the ones left standing with Chase Young, one arguably, hopefully, a, a future generational defensive type talent that they desperately need to, you know, light a fire in their defense. That might be the reward for being as poor as the Giants and, and that down the line a little bit. So let's take this to the NFL draft report for week 15, otherwise known as championship week. Couple things uh, before, right before we went on air tonight, uh, Jordan Love uh, at a Utah State. There was some talk that he might stay in school, that he might transfer somewhere. He has declared for the NFL draft. So I know Jordan Love is a guy that you know you had your heart fluttering in before the season started. Might you know he gave me you know warm cozy feelings as well, and we really liked his game. Obviously, his season didn't go statistically. What he probably hoped for, but I'm still very much intrigued with his overall skill set. I think the NFL teams are going to be very much intrigued with his overall skill set. I think they take away the 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 statistics and the play, and they they don't look at that when they're looking at a, a quarterback playing at a, at a place like Utah State. So I think he's got a legitimate chance still to go in round one. You know, I I know we haven't dug deep into 
you know, all of the film for this year. So some of our takes are still when we dug in before the season started. But Matt, do you still envision a scenario, especially as many teams are needy for quarterbacks? Do you see a scenario where you think Jordan Love still has a legitimate chance to go round one? Yeah, and 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 I I think that's not only true regardless of the actual quarterback pool, but I actually think players like Tua Tagovailoa, I mean, he may end up going back. He may end up going back to school. I wouldn't be shocked there. And if Tua drops out of this discussion, then you're talking about, you know, Joe Burrows and you're talking about um which we call it. You're talking Justin about Herbert. guys. Yeah, you're talking about Justin Herbert and you're talking about guys like Jordan Love. I don't think you're getting that much far down and if Fromm goes back as well, you know, I mean, who knows? Who knows legitimately who that quarterback pool is going to be? There's a reality where it's Joe Burrows and it's Justin Herbert and it's Jordan Love. That could very well be the top three quarterbacks off the board. Yeah, 100%. So it would be interesting to follow that. I don't know. I don't think he, I don't think he has the, the, like the credits to be able to go play at one of the All Star games, but I don't know that. I don't know that for sure. So obviously, you know, we'll hear more about that. But if he has an opportunity to potentially play at, you know, the senior role or, or something like that, that would be obviously great to see him in that setting. Uh, but I'm not sure about that. So this past weekend, Justin Herbert, Oregon led the big win over Utah, knocking Utah out of the playoff picture. Not much statistically from Justin Herbert, 14 of 26, 193 yards and one touchdown. I think the Herbert storyline is going to be fascinating in this draft season because there seems to be a lot of people who kind of are a little bit down on Justin Herbert. I think he might have made a mistake in terms of his draft stock going back to school. I don't see a scenario where he wouldn't have been a top six pick last year. All the rumors were that the Giants were very much enamored with him. So he probably would have been the pick if he would have came out last year at six, if not even earlier. There seemed to be a lot of people. Remember last year, we always would watch Jared Stidham. And I know I said, and I believe you agreed with me, that we always watched him in college at Auburn. And he always left us wanting a little bit more. We liked his game, but he left us wanting a little bit more. I feel like that's the vibe that a lot of good, you know, good, you know, analysts out there have with, with Justin Herbert, that they watch them, but there's something missing. They they don't see they they're not a hundred percent sold. And I could see that. Like you watch him play and you see glimpses of greatness, but you don't see consistent greatness. And I think Herbert's gonna end up being a top ten pick, especially, you know, we, we're with two I think two does end up coming out still, to be honest with you. But regardless, I think Herbert does still end up being a top ten or top fifteen pick. I just don't think it was the monster season that maybe he expected and some people expected him going back to school and then also Jalen Hurts this weekend 17 of 24 287 yards we already talked about Oklahoma getting the victory Hurts's draft stock is so intriguing because started the year as basically a UDFA type quarterback prospect maybe a position switch and now there's legitimate whispers of him being a top 100 pick being a guy who goes on day two teams looking at him and, and seeing running an offense of what Baltimore is doing with Lamar Jackson. Uh, I, I don't know if he's there yet in terms of passing Jalen Hurts, but he's shown a lot of growth this year. So I do think it's possible to to take that step, you know, and then Jake from 20 of 42 this week, really struggled two interceptions. Obviously Joe Burrow and LSU got the best of him. Burrow just continued to dominate 349 and four touchdowns. Matt, any thoughts on Herbert, Jalen Hurts, or Jake Fromm, the other, the big three guys from this weekend, 
not counting Joe Burrow, who I think all legitimately, you know, are going to be in the early round discussion. Herbert in round one, how early? Jalen Hurts maybe in day two. And then Jake Fromm, is he a, still a late round one, early round two guy? Or does he go back to school? And if he goes back to school, is there a benefit for him? Is he going to be a guy that really changes the narrative on what he does good and where his weaknesses are by going back to school? Yeah, I mean, those are all great questions. And I think that, you know, my first instinct is, is I agree with you on Justin Herbert. I think he's going to fall victim to potentially, um, you know, flaming out in terms of draft stock where all of a sudden the fire was burning brighter last year than it is this year. But is it really an indictment of his overall ability or is it really just a fact that, you know, this particular year in this particular setup in this particular situation, you know, he wasn't as uh, dominant or he wasn't as locked in as he was last year. I mean, all those things have merit and I understand that. Um, but I think Justin Herbert, you'd be, you'd really be hard pressed to find, you know, that much of a better prospect, even looking across the last two years. I mean, you go back to last year and you look at players at the quarterback position. I mean, you know, he still would have been there, you know, he still would have been in that discussion, as you pointed out earlier. I mean, like you said, I mean, Daniel Jones, probably not going to be a giant if Justin Herbert's in there. You know, he's probably going to be Justin Herbert, you know, is somebody that we're paying to go get, you know. So, I mean, I, I you know, if you look even back before then, I mean, even going back into the years that, you know, that, you know, the Josh Allens and the Lamar Jacksons and all those guys, um, and the Baker Mayfields, I, I, I still see a reality where Justin Herbert would have been that fifth guy or that fourth guy. I don't think that's really crazy. So, I mean, Justin Herbert is, is, a, is a prospect that I think is obviously many teams are going to probably take very seriously, and they should, and they should probably invest in him. I think it's worth building on him and seeing where you can go. And, and I think that you really hit the nail on the head when you talked specifically about Jake Fromm. Listen, I, I get that Jake Fromm has his blemishes, and, and he is certainly not a finished product. And and I guess people are expecting him to be, um, you know, this uh, assassin of a quarterback. And the reality is, is from my perspective, I think he's a better thrower of the football than people give him credit for. I do think he's more than just a game manager. I do think that he ends up being a very, very competent quarterback. Again, if we're going to use the the Alex Smith discussion as being his, I don't know if that's his ceiling. I think that could be his expectation level. And if he expect him to be Alex Smith at a minimum, right? That's not bad. I still argue that that's not bad. I mean, look at what, look at Ryan Tannehill right now and all the resurgence in terms of him and what he's doing right now in the NFL. I mean, where you go plays a big role in how well you do. And many might say, well, he's in one of the best college football programs in the country. Why isn't he a better and more accurate passer? Well, it's a good question. I also would argue that he doesn't really exactly have the most star-studded wide receiver cast. I mean, there are a lot of guys that are still young and still finding their way. George Pickens is new. Dominic Blaylock is young. I mean, you're talking about a very young wide receiver core, and that's not their strength of their game right now. So I, I, I think Jake Fromm is still a guy that I would invest in. I, I would still clamor the table again. If somebody took Herbert, I, I would be I'd be running to the polls to to go and take him, probably over Jordan Love. To be honest with you, 
Yeah, I mean, listen, like we said, there's 32 NFL teams in the quarterbacks, and lots of teams in that 32 teams don't have quarterbacks, that Jake Fromm's going to get an opportunity. And like you said, I think the Ryan Tannehill makes a good argument. Like, he's going to get a big contract probably from Tennessee because what he's doing right now with them. And you look at a guy like Ryan Tannehill, and it's hard to think that you can't see a scenario where Jake Fromm could be that type of player. And you talk about you, you've said Alex Smith for years, which I've always thought was a really good <clears throat> comp. I think he could still be that guy. And I do think Jake Fromm is a guy who's going to wow the NFL circles a lot more <clears throat> than the film watchers, the draft Twitter community. We don't get to see his intelligence level. We don't get to see his leadership skills. We don't get to see, you know, him answering questions, his work on the whiteboard. From from what we hear, it's all excellent. And if it is all excellent, that's going to change the narrative a little bit and make up for some of maybe his physical limitations that we do see when we watch the film. So it's going to be fun seeing this, seeing who declares to is obviously a big wild card. Uh, does Jacob Eason come out? That's another, you know, X factor there, obviously with, you know, a new coach coming in there at Washington. So I, I think that's an interesting how that plays out. I think Eason's another guy who could be in the top 100 mix as well. If we take this to the running back, a lot of the big running backs, you know, in terms of their NFL 2020 draft stock played this weekend, uh, Zach Moss, 113 yards, but it's nice to see him chip in four catches, 57 yards and a touchdown. That's one of my issues with Zach Moss. I'm not as big of a fan of Zach Moss as some people out there. I think he's a little bit of a limited player. I don't think he's much of a factor in the pass game. I don't think he's a guy who's going to make big plays. But this week it was nice to see him impact the pass game a little bit. I think he's a, a run four pick, and I think he could be a really solid player. Uh, you know, similar to you know where Benny Snell was taken this year and other guys like that in the past. And then a bunch of the big guys also played this week. Uh, DeAndre Swift, why did he only have five touches? You know, what game plan for Georgia says we're going to try to beat the number one team in the country, basically, in LSU, and we're going to give our most skilled player, our best offensive weapon, five touches? It, I, I don't get it. I don't get sometimes, you know, and this is not a guy who's a plotting two down Thumper that when the game starts to get out of reach, you feel you're like, okay, he doesn't have a role. Like, even if it was in the pass game, why is he not seeing seven, eight, nine touches as soon as you're passing on a regular basis? But Matt and I's feelings on DeAndre Swift are clear. He's our favorite back in the class. We love him. I don't think anything's going to change uh, to deter that. Uh, J.K. Dobbins, 172 yards and one touchdown. I love that J.K. Dobbins has completely changed the narrative. Matt and I have always been fans, but this season started and before the season started, and there was a lot of people down off the J.K. Dobbins bandwagon for he doesn't have elite bursts, he doesn't have great long speed, et cetera, et cetera. And all this guy's done is shown his versatility to win inside and win outside, play in space, play in tight quarters, make plays happen, contact fidelity, quickness, agility, change of direction. Complete player. I think he's in the top 50 mix now, let alone forget about stock down. I think his stock is up. I don't know if he's going to go in round one because that's always a tough question with running backs. But I squarely think he's a day a day two pick and probably a round two pick, not even a round three pick. Well, he, you know, not not to interrupt. I no, mean, no, somebody had asked, somebody asked about a month ago, like, you know, we were talking about, you know, maybe it was a month, maybe it was a month and a half ago, like where, where J.K. Dobbins was. He's my RB2. And and I'm I'm really not moving off of him at running back too. I mean I'm that 
enthralled with him. And I think if you're somebody who's a fan of Dalvin Cook, I think you should really be clamoring to go get a guy like J.K. Dobbins. Yeah, I, I and I'm, I'm it's interesting that you said that because I was in in a minute or two going to pose a question to you after DeAndre Swift. The, the other names that I were going to bring up, I mentioned J.K. Dobbins. The next two guys I was going to bring up was Travis Etienne this week for Clemson, 14 carries, 114 yards. I don't think he's had the monster statistical season that maybe some expected, but I mean his bursts, his stop and go acceleration is rare big play ability still hasn't shown a lot in the passing game but again that could be just part of the product that Clemson doesn't need him to be a weapon there with all those receivers and then Jonathan Taylor we've talked a lot about him 20 carries 148 yards he has shown a little bit more this year in the past game to at least be serviceable you mentioned that Dobbins is your number two do you have a preference at the moment prior to breaking down more film between Travis Etienne and Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, I, I would take Jonathan Taylor. Um, I, I mean, I think that the only concern I have um, is that idea that the body can only take so much punishment and he has been used tremendously over the course of his career. I mean, actually most of these guys have, but really, if you ask me, De, you know, Deandre Swift has been probably used probably one of the least out of these three. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, I, I think Jonathan Taylor is a phenomenally skilled back. I really do. I, I think he's an excellent runner. Um, I, I think he's just very good between the tackles. I think he has enough skill to take it to the outside when needed. Um, I think he has uh, enough skill to become a competent wide receiver. I think he's the evolution of a Jordan Howard style of player. So, what we think of Jordan Howard, let's evolve him to a much higher degree or skilled player. And I think you got Jonathan Taylor. So, I mean, you know, I, I really like Jonathan Taylor. I think he's a fantastic player. Um, he would be my number three. Um, but I mean, but then again, after we get past Jonathan Taylor, I think it's wide open. I really do. Najee Harris, Cam Akers, um, uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, who I would love, who I'm going to get in my league, in our in our league, I'll get him when I get my draft. So I'm going to take him at the end of the first round. I'm telling everybody that right now if they're in my league. He was he was actually my last guy I was going to bring up because there's been some whispers that he is he is a lot more highly regarded in the NFL community than maybe the draft Twitter community even thought of that. He might be a guy that legitimately I, – I thought he was more of a guy that maybe would be a day three guy, like a round four. And there's some buzz that he can be a top 100 guy, which would put him in the day yeah. two mix, which should be very interesting. Well, his dual versatility. Yeah, well, his performance again – the performance against Alabama clinched it. You know, I mean, that was a big stage. And what he did against that team and the way he showed – honestly, I mean, let's say it right now. He probably had one of the best games any running back has ever had against Alabama. I don't know if that's hyperbole. I mean, I've never seen that style of run from a player like Clyde Edwards-Alaire had. I just really haven't. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to kind of see uh, his overall process in the pre-draft process and, you know, and then how high his draft stock can go. So let's take this to the wide receivers real quick before we do a quick Debbie slam, then close out the night with the NFL rookie report. Uh, a couple names here I have at the wide receiver position. I'll run through, and then you can comment on one or two guys that you want to make note of, Matt. Uh, 
right at the top, Justin Jefferson for LSU continues to impress. Seven catches, 115 yards, and one touchdown. I mean, the trio of wide receivers there at LSU, just mind-boggling. I'll bring up two of the others in the Debbie slant. But Jefferson has had a monster breakout season. He's a guy who is near the top of the list for me to get into the 2020 Scotty Notebook. There will be a bunch of guys added by the end of December. I have a list of names that will be added. Uh, and then I will, and once I add those guys, then I will start circling back and make a lot of edits to the guys that are in it already. But Justin Jefferson is at the top of the list. I mentioned on the last week's episode, Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State. He's near the top of the list because both of those guys could legitimately be top. 50 or top 100 type prospects. And then another guy I haven't talked too much about, but one of the top senior wide receivers is John Hightower out of Boise State. He's 6'2", 172 pound speedster. I know a lot of people are intrigued by him. Dane Brugler is a fan, some other people. So he's a guy that maybe can be a specialist, more of a Dave Ferry type guy, I think, but Hightower is an intriguing guy. He'll be another guy added to the scouting notebook as well. In terms of some of the underclassmen, big guys that stood out this week, C.D. Lamb, 173 yards in that Oklahoma victory. T. Higgins, nine catches, 182 yards and three touchdowns. And then Matt mentioned them before. K.J. Hill, while he – I still think there's going to be a little bit of a rise, A.K. similar to Terry McLaurin and Paris Campbell, and I think it's going to be K.J. Hill. Once he starts testing out, I think the NFL teams are going to like K.J. Hill maybe a little bit more than the draft community does, and I could see him maybe being a guy who sneaks into the top 100 as well. Matt, any thoughts on either Jefferson, Hightower, any thoughts that we haven't talked about on T.D. Lamb or T. Higgins or anything on K.J. Hill? Um, no, I, I mean, just some things is, first of all, I think Justin Jefferson, for as long as we've been doing it this year, has been a regular mainstay on the, he's really good list. And I think it just capitalized everything that we've been talking about recently. He is really good. And I think it's an absolute 100%, uh, data complete that he is going to end up being a top 10 receiver, maybe even top eight. He may even rise to being, you know, number five overall. He is that good. Um, and I, and I don't think that's again, crazy. I mean, because when you look at this wide receiver class and you start examining it from top to bottom, Justin Jefferson's really good. And I think he's going to be a phenomenal pro and I'd be looking to get shares of him anywhere I could moving forward. Um, I, I, I gotta tell you, I, I think this, you know, I, I think when you look at it, I think this class is going to present a lot of wide receiver two type talent and a couple of wide receiver ones here and there. There's some wide receiver ones for sure, but there's a lot of wide receiver twos here that are going to be excellent, excellent, excellent wide receivers. Yeah, this is going to be a super strong draft class. The amount of guys who are going to be left on day three that we're just stunned because how many guys can go in the top 100, I think you're, you're going you're gonna to walk away with legitimate guys who can be top three on the depth chart, and you're going to be getting them, some of those guys in round four, and that's pretty staggering, you know, in terms of NFL draft capital. Okay, let's take this to the Debbie slant, and we already talked about Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, so I don't think there's much to talk about them. We talked about them in the tail of the tape. They're going to meet in the bowl game. It's going to be fantastic. We're going to be talking about these guys for the next year and a half, you know, in preparation for the 2021 NFL draft, and who goes one and who goes two is probably going to be the question. But I have some wide receivers here, and obviously three of them are guys we've talked about a lot. Jamar Chase, you know, the season that he had – I think the argument can be made. He 
he could make he's probably going to go into next season as maybe the most highly regarded wide receiver prospect and mm-hmm. for, for, for people who play Debbie he's probably pushed his way to the top of the Debbie wide receiver ranking board and it's really hard to argue with that with what he's done I think he's right up there with Justin Ross who I was going to talk about this week for recatches 94 yards and one touchdown I think people have kind of forgotten about just how special of a player Justin Ross is Obviously, you got, you know, Amon Ross St. Brown. You got Rondo Moore. The, the, the wide receiver class next year is going to be special, too. Uh, but Chase has definitely earned their way towards the top of that list. And then his teammate, Terrence Marshall Jr., you know, another five catches, 89 yards, and two touchdowns. I think he deserves – he's going to be a top 10 guy probably in all rankings next year. So any thoughts on those big guys? And then I do want to pick your brain. I think we've talked about him once before. But I want to I want to talk about the the freshman from Georgia, George Pickens, four catches, fifty four yards, and one touchdown. And what what you think about his long term ceiling is? Uh, I, like I said, I think we've talked about him. Was he a big time recruit? And and what you think about him maybe long term? Yeah, I mean George Pickens definitely was a very well pretty pretty highly decorated recruit. Um, and in terms of his overall ability and what he can do on the field. Um, I mean, I think the biggest things, and you see it pretty often throughout the season, is his body control. His body control in contested catch situations, as well as his ability to utilize his entire stem to kind of create separation. But he doesn't create separation in the in the way of being a nuanced route runner. He's not a guy that's really kind of sensitive, overly sensitive, that is, to like the ways in which the DB is moving or kind of fainting. He's not he's not playing the game within the game during his stems quite yet. I mean, it's developed from the beginning of the year to now, but really where you see him, I think, shine is in that body control along the sideline, that body control in contested catch situations, that sensitivity to understanding how to manipulate the positioning of the defender relative to his own body in order to create opportunities for a better passing window for his quarterback. He's a guy who can bail quarterbacks out, and that's a really important trait. And I got to tell you, excuse me, he moves very, very well. And his sensitivity throughout his routes, his development as a route runner has shown. I think his long-term value is one where I could tell you he's on my short list. If I were in a Devi league, that's probably shallow, where I have maybe two rounds of Devi, if that. Um, he's on my short list of acquisitions. I mean, he's certainly right there. Um, and he's a guy that I've I've already earmarked and hoped that I can maybe get a share of because I, I do think there's some interest there. Um, I'm not clamoring to go get him. I'm not going to be clamoring and, and kind of throwing away, you know, the opportunities to go get. I've obviously guys like we've talked about, like Jamar Chase and players like that. Um, but he's he's right there in terms of being a player that I'm interested in acquiring. As far as the other guys that you mentioned, yeah, I mean, Jamar Chase has absolutely exploded on the scene this year. Um, you know, kudos to our colleagues over at Devi Watch and LJ Cheney and all those guys. I mean, that's that was their their guy, and um, I know LJ was very big on him um, since he came out of high school, and uh, I thought he was a phenomenal player as well, but I didn't have him anywhere near um, that pedigree level. And um, he's just really evolved and matured and developed and and grown into a player that has that is really just. I think taking the collegiate kind of receiving world by storm. And, um, you know, he's probably going to be on the Bolitnikoff, you know, watch list next year, starting the year. He's, he's just that good. And Terrace Marshall Jr. 
I still argue that Terrace Marshall Jr. is a guy that we're only beginning to scratch the surface of how good he can be. I mean, he was injured, then he wasn't injured this year. Um, he's already on a team with a lot of wide receivers, meaning that he doesn't have to be the guy all the time. Um, I, I, you know, I think Terrace Marshall Jr. is a phenomenal talent, and I think the biggest things that you'll love about him is he is a total package in terms of route running, catch radius, strength, yards after the catch. He's a very, very good player. And I think that he's just overshadowed on a team that's got a lot of really good players. And Jalen Waddle should be on everybody's list, by the way. If we haven't if we haven't gotten Jalen Waddle yet, then Jalen Waddle should be among those that were pirating, you know, from others in our draft. Yeah, last week I talked a lot about Jalen Waddle after that game against Oh Auburn my goodness, right? And just how special of a player he is. And he just doesn't get the attention because Right now, it goes to Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs III and Devonta Smith. But, I mean, next year's class, I mean, like, I start to think about it. And, like, obviously, we'll have to do it, you know, in the summer after we watch all their film. But, like, oh, it's, trying, it's to, trying to rank, like, Jamar Chase, you know, uh, Rondell Waddle, Amon Ross St. Brown, Rondell Moore, <laughs> Justin Ross, like – the lit, you know, Terrence Marshall, Seth Williams, like the list is just keeps on going. Like it's, it's, it's going to be a blast. So, so yeah, so that was a quick Debbie slam, uh, for this past week as well. Let's close out the night with the NFL draft report for week 14. Can't believe we're that far in the books already in the NFL season as well. At the quarterback position, some thoughts. Drew Locke. Probably the most impressive rookie performance of the weekend in only a second start for the Broncos. He goes on the road and beats Deshaun Watson and the Houston Texans, who were 8-4, and four, I think, heading into the week. 22 of 27, 309 yards, a touchdown, really playing uh, the Drew Locke that we kind of were fans of a little bit. Very loose, uh, great arm talent. I think he's got a lot, obviously, still development to go and he's going to have his ups and downs, but man, he's really rejuvenated that Denver team a little bit. And it's great to see down the stretch here. So it'd be interesting to see he, how he closes out the year. Dwayne Haskins was 16 of 27, 170 yards, one touchdown, one interception took four sacks so far. What I expected from Dwayne Haskins has not came to fruition. Like I've said, I'm trying to reserve judgment on just how bad it's been because he was a guy that we thought needed a little bit of time to develop at the NFL level, and he's in a bad situation right now at the Redskins. But he just looks like a guy whose internal clock is very slow at the NFL level. He doesn't have elite skill players all around him with unlimited time like he had at Ohio State. And everything you hear, it's just not positive. I mean, he's got the arm talent to make every throw, but his inaccuracy at times, his decision-making, his his mental processing has, has been slow and poor when I've watched him this year. But again, trying to reserve judgment and not go too much into uh, only a few starts and, and, and wait to see what he maybe looks like after a full year. Kyler Murray played... <clears throat> One of his, uh, this week, 20 of 30, 194 yards and two touchdowns with three interceptions. It was a very suspect game. Uh, he seems to have hit a little bit of a wall here, closing out the stretch. Uh, Daniel Jones missed the game due to a high ankle sprain, might miss the rest of the season to be determined. 
Matt, any thoughts on Drew Locke, Dwayne Haskins, or Kyler Murray in terms of their performance or in terms of dynasty? Uh, any, any takes on the quarterbacks? No, I, I think you're 100% right. And I think as hard as it is to kind of put that as a as a comment, um, because we were expecting so much more from Dwayne Haskins, dude, we, we, we really do have to wait. I think we have to wait because Washington is an utter train wreck. It's just a train wreck. We're already on the second coach. We already have revolving door at wide receiver. Kelvin Harmon is probably a, a guy that I would consider adding because it looks like he may have an opportunity. I'm sure they're going to draft a wide receiver, but uh, Kelvin Harmon for right now, I would I would go and stash him. Let's we'll see how that goes. But Dwayne Haskin would be a player that I still think, like Jared Goff, when he was struggling early in his career, um, things can change in a minute with the right coach and the right players around you. And I think we've seen that from time and time again. You know, you can microwave, you know, a brand new team overnight as long as you got the right ingredients. You can still make a fantastic meal. So I, I really do believe that let's see what happens with Dwayne Haskins. If somebody's willing who has a Dwayne Haskins who's an owner and they're willing to sell him for a very late, late, almost kind of coin flip, useless pick, I would I would absolutely do it. And I'd hold on to him, especially if you're somebody who needs a quarterback. Why not? I don't think they're moving on this upcoming season. I think they're going to roll with him next year, and I think we're going to see how that goes. Maybe they invest in a secondary quarterback in this draft, but it's certainly not somebody who's supposed to be threatening his current ability to play the game. So that that was my thought on Dwayne Haskins. I'm kind of right there with you. Yeah, I mean, you got to give him a little bit more time and a little bit more opportunity. But again, he's left wanting a little bit more for oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, if we go to the running back position, I think the biggest winner right now uh, in terms of the end of the year is I think stock up on Devin Singletary. Bills have finally seemed to be giving him a little bit more work and almost a three down role. This past week, 89 yards rushing, six catches, 29 yards receiving. I have been very lukewarm on Devin Singletary since he was drafted. I thought he was going to be a day three guy. He pushed into the third round. Uh, I still have my question marks though long term. I know a while back we played that game of would you rather have this pick next in this next year's rookie draft or this player, and we didn't bring up Devin Singletary. But I still would rather have a probably unless it, I'd probably want anything better than a mid second round pick in the 2020 draft over Devin Singletary. Maybe a late second round pick, I would say. Give me Singletary. Uh, but I still have question marks about whether or not he's the guy long-term. Josh Allen takes a lot of the rushes near inside the goal line. So Devin Singletary, not going to be a guy who I think scores a lot of touchdowns. Not really a big play for it because he doesn't have that breakaway speed. So he's not going to be a guy that I think makes a lot of big 50-yard touchdown runs. And I'm not sure he... I think eventually when they replace Frank Gore, I think I could see it being a guy who's a little bit more of a receiving threat. So then if he's not playing on third downs and he's not the receiving guy, I still have some question marks on what his fantasy value is. But right now his stock is definitely up. The Bills are treating him as a focal point of that team and of that running attack. So stock up on him, but I wouldn't go over the top in terms of buying him. I'd still even not crazy. Uh, I would even look maybe to sell him still. David Montgomery, 20 carries, 86 yards. I do think it is fair to question his long-term upside. Hasn't looked as good as we maybe expected him to look coming out of Iowa State. Tariq Cohen is there to always be a, a thorn in his side in terms of his past game work. 
so I think that's something that could hinder his long-term value. Josh Jacobs playing with a broken shoulder, sat out this week. His season might be done. And if if people aren't properly valuing Josh Jacobs, be super aggressive in going to get him. I think he's a top 10 dynasty running back already. I think he's one of the more skilled running backs in the NFL already. And I think it's just a matter of time before he starts to be more of a factor in the pass game, considering how talented of a pass catcher he is. So maybe him getting hurt and maybe not playing down the stretch, maybe and him never really get involved in the passing game. Listen, I'd probably trade just about any rookie pick, any rookie pick, whether it's DeAndre Swift, whether it's Jonathan Taylor, whether it's Travis Etienne, whether it's pick a wide receiver that you love the most. I'd probably trade all of them. You wouldn't Jonathan. trade Brian Edwards for him though, because that would be, <laughs> that would be against the rules of our podcast. So, I mean, I, that's how high I'm on Josh Jacobs and what we've already seen in the NFL to translate. I think I'd rather Josh Jacobs than anybody coming out of the, of the 2020 draft. If I just could have a one for one swap and I'm not sure everyone's going to feel that way, especially as we get closer to the draft and people get really excited. But if I had the first pick and there's no cap or situation, anything like that, and it's just straight, you know, would you rather have the first pick and draft the Andre Swift or would you rather Josh Jacobs? I think I'd, I think I'd take Josh Jacobs if, if that was an actual legitimate offer on the table for me. So, Matt, any thoughts on the running back, Singletary, Montgomery, Jacobs, anybody else? Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's some that's some controversial banter that you just threw out there on the table right now. I mean, I, my, gut, my gut says, honestly, I, I'm not totally in disagreement with you. I mean, I think if you had one of those primetime skill players, like it, I, I'm going to tell you right now, if DeAndre Swift had a clear path to playing time, I'm I'm probably not moving him. I'm probably not moving DeAndre Swift for Josh Jacobs. And if I had to go to J.K. Dobbins, if J.K. Dobbins had a clear path to playing time, I'm probably not moving him for for Josh Jacobs, even though I love Josh Jacobs. I still value those guys' skill over him. Um, Jerry Judy, um, it's a great question. Jerry Judy for him. It depends on the – again, it depends on landing spot. So I think other the creme de la creme. So – if I had the, one of the first overall picks, I would probably have to do that on draft night because I would have to see where the dust settles in terms of these guys landing where they are. And if those and if some of those elite talents, and I would put Jerry Judy there, I would put you know DeAndre Swift there, I would put uh, even even guys like um, you know even guys like I said like J.K. Dobbins and the and the Jordan you know and the um, you know Jonathan Taylors and those guys. I, I got to see where those guys land. And if those guys had a clear path to immediate contribution, I may reserve trading for Josh Jacobs. But if I had pick number two, <laughs> if I had pick number pick number three or worse, I might move it right now. I might move it right now. Because I, I number one would be too much because I get the best player in the best position and I think there's a lot of talent there. You know? I think if I had picked three or worse, I'm moving him immediately right now for Josh Jacobs. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think that I think that's a no brainer. Pick three or worse, I think. But I do think it's a legitimate question. Yes, to say that you can say I've already seen Josh Jacobs perform at the NFL level. Yep, he's a, he's with a coach and a GM in 
John Gruden and Mike Mayock that invested highly in him. And they, yep. they said that they, he was a priority for them in the draft. They wanted him. John Gruden wants to run the football. Raiders got a good offensive line. They're probably eventually at some point going to upgrade the quarterback position, but they want the running game to be a focal point of that game. The only way, the only, my only concern is, is if this year is a shot of a preview of what they foresee for Josh Jacobs and they don't anticipate getting him more involved in the passing game, then I'll regret my decision because then I probably would want the more complete player, like maybe a DeAndre Swift or a J.K. Dobbins. But I think I'd probably gamble that Jacobs is going to see more work sooner well, rather than later because that was a, that was one of his selling points in Alabama. Well, yeah, I was just about was, to say, like that was one of his that was one of his main skill sets. No, 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 and that's I think that's the biggest thing though, there, Paul, is it because like if you put Josh Jacobs in this particular draft. I mean, we're not really getting far past, you know, the DeAndre Swift, the J.K. Dobbins, maybe the Jonathan Taylors of the world before we immediately have Josh Jacobs in there. I mean, I know a lot of people out there. I mean, really, would we really have him? If you were coming out of Alabama right now, would we really have him? I'd probably have him ahead of Jonathan Taylor. So, I mean, like, I mean, are we really not? I think think DeAndre Swift and... And Josh Jacobs would be the first, would be the only two running backs that would go in round one. That would be, if if this, if Josh Jacobs was coming out this year, I still think he'd be a first round pick. And I think DeAndre Swift would join him. And those would be the only two guys who would go in the first round. That's just my guess. My yeah, guess. Yeah. And, I'm, and I don't want to belabor this any further. I think we're all on the same page here. I think you have to, if you have the opportunity with an elite pick to go and grab Josh Jacobs, I think outside of number one overall, I'm doing it. Yeah, I think, I, and I think that would be the smart thing to do. So, great conversation. We'll talk more about that in, in the future. Let's take this to the pass catchers. A couple names I have written down here. Uh, first off, A.J. Brown. I mean, listen, there, there's times that, you know, we we feel like we, we nail a player. You know, there's plenty of times we miss on a player too. But, but A.J. Brown, I mean, for, for years – we, you know, Matt at the forefront for years ago was talking about him, comparing him to guys like Anquan Bolden. And then we, we said he reminded pe- me, us of Juju Smith. And we envisioned that being the role that he should play at the NFL level. I mean, AJ Brown's year this year on the amount of limited targets he's gotten has been nothing short of spectacular. Five catches, 153 yards and two touchdowns. He has pushed Corey Davis to the side in that pecking order on that depth chart. He is the guy and he just makes plays happen with that size, with that physicality. Is he creating massive separation? No. Is he burning past people vertically down the field? No, he didn't do that at college. That wasn't his calling card. What his calling card was his route running, his play strength in the routes and at the top of the routes, his ability to create space with that physicality and toughness, his usage of his hands, his toughness. And then after the catch, he's a weapon. He is a weapon after the catch. He he could turn on the Jets. He uses that size. He takes great angles and he just makes big plays. AJ Brown, we also talked about that when we did that. AJ Brown is another one of those guys, Matt, that I would put him in the list where unless it's a top six or seven pick, give me A.J. Brown over anyone in that 7 to 12 range or 8 to 12 range in, in terms of this 2020 class. Because I think, I think A.J. Brown is going to be a star. 
I think AJ Brown's going to be a star. So I'd have no problem being aggressive getting AJ Brown for somebody. I listen. I think there's going to be plenty of star wide receivers that come out of this class too. But you said, what do you, what do you, what do you think? You think there's a lot of wide receiver twos? You said right, and maybe a few wide receiver ones. Yeah, I think AJ Brown's going to be a wide receiver one. I don't know what that does. That mean he's a top ten fantasy wide receiver? I don't know. Volume has a lot to do with that. But I think he's going to be a wide receiver one in the NFL. Yeah, and, and again, I mean, we're, when we when we use these monikers of one and two, I mean, we're probably talking about statistical volume. I mean, but we're also talking about starters, right? So let me let me just clarify that a little bit for everybody listening. I think there's a lot of starting wide receivers potentially in this particular draft. I really do. I think there's a lot of starting wide receivers. I didn't feel that way last year, but AJ Brown was definitely a starting wide receiver in my book. And the other one is Kelvin Harmon, who <laughs> talk about misses, Paul. Talk about hits and misses. I mean, that was a miss because the the NFL clearly didn't view him that highly, but on 30 targets, he's caught 20 balls for about 300 yards already. So yeah. he's he's inching his way back into it. I would argue that the big thing is going to be the draft this year. Kelvin Harmon is a guy that I would still put on the back of my bench just because of the idea that if Washington doesn't invest in a high pick in a wide receiver, I think they're telling you everything that you need to know about what they have and what they think they may be able to do moving forward with what they have. So A.J. Brown is a guy I would absolutely get. And also Deontay Johnson, Paul. Yes. I mean, Deontay Johnson's a player that, I mean, I, I had no idea that he was getting the, the caliber of separation that some film watchers were talking about. You know? I yeah. mean, you watch him on the field, and he looked fantastic, but I, I, I just, he's exceeded my expectations even more so than I had for him. And I had him as a guy that we should be, we should be really looking at closely in this year because in some cases he was on waiver wires at one point. So he's yeah, definitely I, one of those guys. Yeah. I mean, and, and there's an opportunity there. I mean, I think their wide receivers moving forward are going to be Juju Smith, AJ, uh, Juju Smith, Deontay Johnson, and James Washington, and even James Washington, the guy that we were pretty high on, started to show some things this year. So we'll see if they, if him and Deontay Johnson both can continue to grow. This wide receiver class, we were we were suspect on it a little bit last year, but they've really kind of held their own at the NFL level. You know, Terry McLaurin, I'm going to continue to pound that drum that the fact that he is not putting up good statistical production right now because of the lack of efficiency by Dwayne Haskins opens up a window to go by him Yes, in, in, in dynasty leagues. So this week, four catches, 57 yards and a touchdown. I almost hope he has a slow four weeks. I think that opens up a buying window more. Uh, Nicole Hardman, I'm going to say he is maybe the sneakiest buy low of any of the rookies because I don't – Listen, you look at his stats. He's got six touchdowns this year. He's got big plays everywhere, but he doesn't have a, a lot of stats because he doesn't get a lot of targets. I don't think Sammy Watkins is going to be on the team next year, and I think Nicole Hardman is going to emerge into an every-down player for the most part. And if you put him on the field as an every-down player or even as a player who plays 70% of the snaps and you have defenses worrying about Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill, how much attention can you give Miko Harmon? And then his big playability, it, it, he's going to put up stats. When Tyreek Hill emerged onto the scene, everybody said he can't keep this up. He, he's not, he's not going to be able to keep doing this. And Tyreek Hill just kept doing it and doing it and doing it. And then he became an every down player and it hasn't stopped. 
I think Nicole Hardman, I'm not saying he's going to reach a Tyreek Hill status, but I think w- when he gets an opportunity to be an every down player in that offense with so much attention going Tyreek Kill and Travis Kelsey's way, I don't see how Nicole Harmon is not a wide receiver two for type player in the future. And I think there's an opportunity to buy him at a much discounted rate compared to where I think his long-term upside is. And then Debo Samuel, another player Matt and I have, go buy him anywhere you can get him. I mean, it's going to, it's going to take a lot late first round pick early second, a late early second and a mid second, whatever. I would buy Debo Samuel five catches, 76 yards. I think next year when the season starts, I think the number one and number two option in the San Francisco 49ers offense is George Kittle and Debo Samuel. And I think the I think he could be another guy who becomes a perennial 80 catch, 1100 yards, six to eight touchdown type year. And that that's a big time that's a big time wide receiver two in fantasy and a wide receiver one in terms of NFL caliber. So I would I, I think this and, class is going to produce a lot of guys. Let me that th- I was, I'm stunned they're going to be as good as maybe they even are. But a lot of the guys, Matt, we were on AJ Brown, we were on Debo Samuel, uh, you, we were on Terry McLaurin. A lot of these guys are gonna are gonna outperform what I think the majority of people expected. Yeah, and I just want to throw one more name out there. Talk about a buy low window. Go and steal Preston Williams. Yeah, coming off an injury, going to be a little bit forgotten. You know, doesn't have the draft capital that that some people, you know, want to look at. You could throw a third round pick at him and get him. Yes. Yes, 100% you can get him for maybe a late third round pick. Maybe, you know... I, I don't think that's even far fetched. You know, maybe flip flop a two for Bree and Preston Williams, something like that. I don't yep. think it's, I don't think I don't think it's all that far fetched. And then the last player, Noah Fant, he continues to show glimpses of emerging into a offensive force. I still think he's got a lot of development to do, but you're starting to see what he's capable of if he gets enough touches and that I think, you know, shines out there. And I think he's only going to continue to emerge if Drew Locke continues to play as good as he is, or he ends up being the long-term answer there. So there it is guys, the NFL rookie report for week 14, Matt, pleasure to have you back here. Uh, any, any closing thoughts from your end before we call it a night? No, no, no. I just really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Get your mind off things, talk some football, not many better ways to spend a night. Absolutely. Guys, if you're liking the work that Matt and I are doing, please get over to the website, SS Football's quickest way to get there. Uh, check out the premium content tab. And for $9.99, you get access to all four notebooks. You get the scouting notebook, which we talked about already, has a, probably like 70 or 80 profiles already. I have a lot of names that I plan on adding to it. And then updates will be made. We'll we'll split it up between guys who declare for the draft and who go back to school. You get the rankings notebook, which has all our rankings, draft eligible, Debbie, Dynasty Rookie. We'll have our tiers in there. I know Matt's going to be start working on the freshman notebook. That comes out late March to mid-April. Uh, his thoughts on a lot of the top incoming freshmen. And then the NFL draft projections notebook, which notes on 400 or so players, offensive, defensive, their combine measurements, projected you know, how we expect them to be projected from everything I'm hearing, best position in the NFL, et cetera, et cetera. It is the best way to support the show. I know I said it last time. It's what Matt and I rely on and, and Dave to keep this show going. We haven't asked for a Patreon account. So we do ask that if you're a fan of the show, if you enjoy what we're doing, you know, 
check it out. $9.99. We really do think you'll like the content, use the content, and it dramatically helps support the show. If you're a fan of just listening to the podcast week in and week out, uh, it helps us grow. It helps us continue to do what we are doing. If you can't purchase that, please get over to whatever website, uh, whatever podcast provider you use, rate, review, and subscribe that and uh, leave reviews as well. That helps us out as well. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of our sound and tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us. Enjoy the football games this week in the NFL, the Heisman presentation, and we'll be back next week as we take you from Saturday to Sunday.